You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name is Harrison Ford. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a pleasure to be with you. You know, if you read the statistics, it seems like life is pretty good right now. Compared to, say, 50 years ago, we live longer, we have more money, we have better access to education and information of all kinds. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg. You can start to get into these other statistics. Uh, Extreme poverty is down globally. Homicide rates are down. More people live now under a democracy than any other time in the past. So you read these and you think we should probably be optimistic about life in the future. But we rarely are, are we? You know, if you read another set of statistics, especially those on mental health and, ha- and happiness, uh, you'll see that life seems to be more unbearable than ever. We are, compared to 50 years ago, more anxious, sad, and lonely than we've ever been. You know, you might have seen this graph going around on social media. It's from a group called Monitoring the Future, which is a, a survey, a yearly survey that's been going on for almost 50 years around the University of Michigan. And every year they survey um, youth, uh, late middle school and high school. And what they found is that 50% of teenagers this year said that they feel like they can't do anything right. 49 feel like their life isn't useful. And 44% say that they just simply don't enjoy life. And it's not just the youth. I mean... I think we can read another set of statistics that show that the adults, uh, we aren't doing well either. Anxiety and depression are through the roof. So we have this weird uh, disparity where on one hand, things seem to be getting better, but on the other hand, things feel worse. And, you know, this isn't just some kind of nebulous social phenomenon that only shows up when you start to dig into data. I think... If we're honest, any of us would know what this feels like to have a life that seems to be objectively great, but subjectively we feel terrible. I mean, I certainly feel that way many times. I have a great, I have a great life. I have a wonderful family. I have an all right job. Uh, <laughs> now I have a wonderful job. I love it here. Uh, we have a great house. Live right by the river. You know, every day I drive home and I get to see the James. So everything is great, and yet I find myself so frequently uh, just eaten up on the inside with anxiety. And if you feel that way, or if you felt that way, today's text is good news. Because we've, as we're continuing our sermon series in Luke, we're coming to a passage today in which Jesus begins it by saying, Do not be anxious. And you know, if if that came from anyone else, it would come off as condescending and belittling. 
Well, you feel anxious? Just stop feeling that way. But what I want to submit to you is that that's not how Jesus says this in this passage. He doesn't tell us to stop being anxious because uh, he's frustrated or disgusted by our anxiety, but rather he tells us to stop being anxious because our anxiety is keeping us from living the full life that is ours in him. And what he's shown us is that the more that we grasp that heavenly reality, it makes our earthly worries lessen. So, if you would, please turn with me and let's look at Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, you can find this in your worship guide. Luke 12, 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not so arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this afternoon, I want us to see in this text uh, how it helps us to understand what makes us anxious and then it helps us to understand how the gospel applies to that and I want to do that by considering three things that we see in it Uh, perspective provision and purpose perspective provision and purpose but uh, before we get into that I do need to give a caveat You know, anxiety, both as a word and as a concept, is so broadly used that at this point it can really refer to almost anything. But there is a major distinction that we need to make, and that's from kind of the normal anxiety that arises from just the complexities of life, and then uh, like an anxiety disorder, something that is clinically diagnosed and and sometimes... uh, needs medication or therapy. 
And what we're going to talk about today, I would suggest, applies to people in both of those categories. But if you have an anxiety disorder, or if you think you might have an anxiety disorder, let me reinforce for you, and let me be very clear about this, that medicine and therapy are common grace goods that God has given us. You see, we live in a broken world, a world that's uh, cursed by the fall. And because of that, it means that our bodies are broken and our brains are broken. And so God gives us things like medicine and therapy to help us navigate a life uh, that often has brokenness shot all the way through it. And so if you're in here today and, and you're on medication for an anxiety disorder or you've been in therapy or you think you might need to be, I, I don't want you to feel bad about that. It doesn't mean that you have less faith or that Jesus loves you any less. That, that's absolutely not true. So, with that being said, I want us to consider the first point, perspective. I want to suggest that the gospel lifts our perspective on life. And I'm being very uh, particular with my wordage here. It lifts our perspective on life. Why do I say that? Well, I want you to think about an infant or a toddler. And an infant or toddler that's just losing their mind. Um, at this point, they're, they're crying. They're not even crying anymore about the thing that made them cry. They're just crying because they're crying and they don't know how to stop. We, if you've ever spent time around infants and toddlers, you know that state that they get in. Well, something that I found with my children... And I think this that helps, and this particularly helps if you're indoors, is just to go outdoors. To take them outside, to let them hear the birds, to let the sun hit their skin. You know, if, if it just rained like it's been doing so much the past couple of days, let them put their hand in a puddle or put their feet in a puddle. And what you'll find is that that kind of stimulation brings them back outside of them or outside of themselves. And if you've ever been in therapy for anxiety, uh, you might know that this is similar to something that's called a, a grounding technique. This is whenever you feel stuck in your own head, like your mind is just a vortex of anxious thoughts. Um, you use your five senses to draw you back out. So it could be anything. It could be maybe taking a shower and focusing on the way that the, rain, that the water is uh, running over you and what that feels like. It could be even smelling something. You know, open up a bag of coffee or spices or tea and smelling it and let that smell kind of bring you back outside of yourselves. It could be going out uh, and just standing barefoot in the grass and feeling that. It could be a variety of things, but the basic idea here is counteracting the inner pull of anxiety. Because, you see, anxiety feeds on interiority. It feeds on us being inside of our own head, as it were. So, in the midst of uh, strong feelings of anxiety, it's helpful to be drawn back out. To be drawn into the outer world when you've been too much stuck in your inner world. And I want to suggest that that's actually what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's drawing out these disciples who've been anxiously stuck inside of themselves 
by giving, by lifting their perspective. Or, I think to be more precise, he's doing it by giving them a heavenly perspective on their earthly worries. In verse 23, he says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. You know, if you were to pull out Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you remember that from Psych 101 in college, you'd find food and clothing in that bottom category. Food and clothing, they're among the most basic of human needs. If you don't have them, you die. But Jesus here says that there's more to life than those. And that only makes sense in light of the heavenly reality that this isn't our one life. That this life is a, is a prelude or a precursor to the eternal life that we've been given in Christ. And Jesus really extrapolates on this at the end of the passage in verses 32 to 34. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now, whenever Jesus in the New Testament is speaking about his kingdom, what he's talking about is um, heavenly realities that impinge or break in upon earthly realities. You see, when Jesus became incarnate, when he became a child, heaven and earth were no longer separate, but they were overlapping. You see, in, in the person of Christ, just in the same way that human nature and divine nature are united in him, so too earthly realities and the heaven realities are united in Christ as well. And so, when he was incarnate, heaven began to break into and shape life on earth as we know it. This is why back in Luke 11, uh, Jesus, he casts out a demon, and then he says this, But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What he's saying here is that casting out demons was a sign that the heaven re heavenly reality of a kingdom in which there's no evil is breaking in upon and changing uh, a world in which evil is shot through it. It's working back the evil. It's redeeming the evil. He said, when you see that happening, it means the kingdom of God is upon you. It's that overlapping uh, and, and uh, integration of the heavenly realities with the earthly realities. Now, what does this have to do with anxiety? Well, I want you to imagine that you're a, a person of very modest financial means. Some of us don't have to imagine that. Um, you're not, you're maybe not rolling in dough, but you, know, you have enough to get by. What would happen if your grandparents call and they say, hey, you know, we've never told you this, but we live very modestly, but we've been really saving a ton of money, and when we pass away, we're leaving you a fortune. Like, you just, you don't need to worry about money anymore. How would that affect the way that you live now? Now, they're still alive, so the money isn't yours, so you're not going to go out and say, like, you know, I'm going to buy three private jets. Uh, you're not going to do something like that. You still need to be responsible. 
But the promise of that outstanding fortune, that outstanding inheritance, would start to affect the way that you live now, even though the money is not in your account. It would absolutely change the anxiety that you previously felt about your finances. Sure, you might have your moments when you still feel anxious, but in those moments, all you would have to do is to reorient yourself towards the promise of that inheritance that's surely coming. Jesus, in this passage, says that the same thing is true for us. Because we've been united to him and we share in his sonship, we are heirs to the kingdom. So whenever we're bent over with anxiety, we don't need to navel gaze like Chris was talking about. We don't need to look deeper inside of ourselves, but rather we need to look up and out towards Jesus. So that whatever it is that's causing us anxiety can be put into a heavenly perspective. And how do we do that? Well, that's precisely what the sacraments are for. The waters of baptism, the bread and wine of communion, they're kind of a spiritual grounding technique, if you will. I mean, think about what we do when we celebrate communion. We stand up, we stand on our feet, we walk down the aisle, we hear the people around us singing the song, we feel the bread pressed into our palm, We feel the astringency of the wine on our lips. And in all of this, the heavenly realities aren't just something that are signaled or signed to us, but they're rather, they're something that is also sealed to us. Meaning that whenever we take, uh, whenever we partake in the Lord's Supper, it is a reminder to us and a promise to us that God's promises really and truly are yours just as real as the bread and the wine is so real are his promises towards you now with that being said the big question here is what has god promised you and to consider that you have to look back at the old testament to look back at the covenants i think think specifically of the covenant that god made with abraham what did god promise him and his family vis-a-vis abraham Well, he promised uh, that his offspring would be numerous as the stars. He promised that he would give him a special land in which to dwell. He promised to bless Abraham. And then he promised Abraham that by blessing him, Abraham would then become a blessing to the nations. Now, after that happens in Genesis, uh, the rest of of Scripture is really the story of God making good on those promises. And we, the climax of this comes in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Because it's in Him that we start to see where all of those promises were really pointing. This promised uh, people is the, is the church. This promised land is the new heaven and the new earth. The promised blessing is our participating in the blessedness of Christ. And the promised blessing to the nations is the gospel, that, uh, the, good, the gospel news, as Peter puts it in Acts, that uh, the, God, the promises of God are for all who are far off. So if we're to sum up the promise of God with one word, I think provision would be a good one to choose. Because all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see God providing 
constantly for his people. That's why one of the most enduring images in Scripture is that of a shepherd and his sheep. Think about Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Jesus echoes this in the passage in verse 32. Fear not, little flock. He's saying here that we are his sheep, so we shall not want neither. He will provide for us. And this is what he's pressing into in verses 24 and 27. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Then he continues this line of logic in verses 27 to 28. Consider the lilies, how much they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? So what he's saying here is that ultimately all things come from God. And if God provides for and sustains birds and plants, then why would he not do that for us? His beloved covenant people. The people for whom he sent his son to die and redeem. Now, this is important because so much of our anxiety in life arises from the inherent insecurity of living in a fallen world. I mean, if you've ever invested any money at all, you get this. Because finance is built around the concept of risk. The unpredictability, the uncertainty of markets. And they, all, they, and they act for us as just a microcosm of life at large. To live is to risk, and to risk brings uh, anxiety and uncertainty. So I want us to consider now how the truths that we see in this passage apply to that. I just want to say two things. First, we see that the, go- the gospel combats that anxiety by reminding us that our eternal inheritance is fixed. It's immune to risk. There is nothing that can take it away from us. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 33. Provide yourself with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in heaven that doesn't fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Friend, the eternal inheritance that you have in Christ, that heavenly reality, is assured. There is nothing that you can do to have it taken away from you, and there's nothing that someone else can do to take it away from you. It is fixed in heaven in Christ. Second, we also see here that the gospel combats our anxiety by reminding us that we've received this internal inheritance on the basis of grace and not on the basis of merit. You know, the way of the world is social Darwinism. It's survival of the fittest. The strongest are the ones that get the rewards. And so, because of that, we feel like we constantly have to prove ourselves and our worthiness. And this is what Jesus is alluding to in verse 30. He says, for all the nations of the world seek after his things. He's saying that's the way of the world. It's it's the rat race of comparison and comparative righteousness. But the problem here is that if we're honest, 
we're never as strong and as put together and as smart as we feel like we need to make ourselves appear. And so, because of that, we live in this constant state of anxiety that we're not doing enough or that we simply aren't enough in and of ourselves. But that's not the way of the kingdom. In the kingdom, its economy is based not on merit, but upon grace. As I was writing this sermon, I, I noticed that um, the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, was just rolling in the back of my head. And, and it contains one of my favorite lyrics that illustrates this. It says, Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. You know, so many times we superimpose uh, the insecure social Darwinism of the world onto the kingdom. And what that results is, in is us thinking that in order to be in God's good graces, we need to prove ourselves. We need to sh show him that we're worth it. That we can do the right things. That we can be the right kind of person. But all that does is it, it, it results in a kind of spiritualized anxiety and insecurity towards God but the gospel speaks a better word all the fitness that he requires is to feel your need of him all Jesus asks of us is to bring our neediness to him nothing else you know uh, earlier I was we I met with uh, the liturgist and we were talking about how um leading liturgy is an act of hospitality and we, talk, we were talking about what makes you know winter times where you've experienced great hospitality and we talked about how we love it when someone's you know you you get invited to a party and you say well what can I bring and they say just bring yourself that's all Jesus asks just bring yourself all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him and friends for the anxious soul that is great great news so we've seen how the gospel pushes back against our interiority by lifting our eyes towards Christ and how it combats our anxiety over the insecurity of the world by reminding us of God's promised provision. And in closing, I want to briefly consider how the gospel gives us a purpose beyond pleasure and security. You know, if all there is to this life to reverse what Jesus says, if all there is in this life is food and clothes, in other words, if, if all there is to this life is what we can get, and if all there is to life is what we can maintain through our own efforts, then inevitably it's going to mean that our purpose in life is going to be to maximize our security and our pleasure. It's always going to be looking out for number one. Because that is a consequence of social Darwinism. It's kind of the telos of it. But the problem with that is twofold. First of all, the problem is that is an absolutely terrible way to organize a society. And I would submit to you that uh, most of the toxicity that we see in our society today traces back to that mindset. Second, though, the problem with it is that you will never feel satisfied with that. You see, Pleasure and security will give 
will fill as much space as you give it in your soul. And what you'll find is because you can never have enough pleasure, you can never have enough security, it comes to rule you. Or worse yet, not rule you, but enslave you. But if all that Jesus says in this passage is true, you can have a purpose beyond pleasure and security. He talks about this in verse 31. Instead, seek the kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What does that mean? Well, it means living now in light of the heavenly realities. Embodying the values and the mission of the kingdom. Living out the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you might ask, well, okay, but what does that practically mean? Well, look at verse 33. And honestly, you may not want to look at it. It's hard to read. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. If you're like me, that sounds pretty radical. And I think it's supposed to. You see, sometimes prescriptions for deadly diseases are radical. Chemotherapy is a radical um, is a radical therapy for a deadly disease. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that anxiety is a deadly disease. It will consume, it will consume you, and it will keep you imprisoned inside of yourself, unable to look up towards him. So Jesus says, put distance between whatever it is that is keeping you locked in anxiety and keeping you from looking at him. But... If that seems too radical, and you're tempted to just keep clutching on to whatever that is, I want you to remember how Jesus prefaces this radical call to action. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Friends, if that's the case, if it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom you have little to worry about would you pray with me father we come to you now full of anxiety but we thank you that you do not look at that with frustration you don't look at that with disgust but rather you look at it with compassion and like a good parent, you lift our face up to see you. Father, we know that all that we are anxious about, we presently have in you, in Christ. But we are, we are weak, and so we have a hard time believing it. Father, would you help us to believe this through your Holy Spirit? And would you help us to disentangle ourselves from the thing that from the things that make us doubt it, the things that keep our gaze fixed inside of ourselves. We know that you'll do us. You promised us that you will. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.